Hello and welcome to Future Sandwich. This is a special feature of Future Sandwich ahead of our live show at Melbourne's Pause Fest, Australia's premier technology, business and innovation conference. It's held in Fed Square from February 7, 8 and 9 and will play host to some of the world's best thinkers, businesses and products. There's a huge startup expo, some workshops and talks over three days from some legends in the field of tech, business and creative. Guy Kawasaki, the original evangelist from Apple in the Steve Jobs era, will be there. He'll be sharing his decades of experience on day one in his talk, 10 Things Entrepreneurs Stuff Up. And if you have that script in your bottom drawer, now's the time to dust it off, as Kelsey Whelan from Netflix will tell you what it takes to get your big show idea up in her talk, From Pitch to Play. And another speaker I'm looking forward to listening to is NASA's Dr. Marissa Rosenberg. She's a neurophysiologist who is flying in from the Johnson Space Center in Houston. She's going to share how she gets astronauts up and back from space, training them using VR. That's only a sample of three from the list of dozens of people speaking. Jump onto pausefest.com.au and check out other speakers from the likes of Pixar, Airbnb and TechCrunch. And get your tickets ASAP because ticket prices go up as we get closer to the event. But the main event at Pause Fest is, of course, Future Sandwich Live. We've pulled together a killer lineup to discuss the future of news. The panel will include Michael Short, Chief Editorial Writer for The Age, Sophie Black, Editor and Journalist from the ABC and the Wheeler Centre, and Familiar Nick Hodges, Founder of Blonde Free, a consultancy built on his experience as Innovation Director for News Corp and Foxtel. News, media and publishing have been in a constant state of change since the arrival of the internet. Whether it's who's making it, where we see it, who chooses what we see, or how we pay for it, nobody has mastered a model that works. For the next 20 minutes, you can hear me chat with Nick Hodges over some iced coffees and look at how our news is constantly changing shape. One thing that is hyped to be the saviour of media companies is the blockchain. Blockchains will solve everything. Essentially. So I've heard. What impact is it going to have on media? I mean, is, is it going to be the way that we all of a sudden can authenticate and make? Yeah, look, the, it's it's uh, it's really dangerous to say there was one thing that media. Well, there's one thing that killed media companies when the internet came along. But essentially, the fact that media companies create information information is inherently digitizable therefore the ability to uh, endlessly copy um, information created by a media company is is one of the most at threat things by the internet and it's it's simplistic to say that one thing has been a problem there which is getting people to pay for content in a frictionless easy way um, that, that has brought the downfall of media companies but it's also not a massive stretch to say that's true and essentially, this is not the problem of a willingness of people to pay. Um, it's, it's honestly a problem of friction, and it's a problem of transaction costs. Um, so if we're talking specifically around blockchains from a payment perspective and the concept that blockchains introduce a frictionless, invisible um, payment system that can work on very small fractions of whatever currency you want, then, yes, that's very interesting for media. Um, if we look at blockchains as a broader view of a database whereby we can create transactions or entries into that database um, for very low to zero transaction costs, then suddenly that gets a little bit more interesting. Um, and if you think that 
a media company has always been a, this three-way relationship between the media creator, um, the media consumer, and the, uh, the, the the media customer in terms of an advertiser. We haven't had a good, or the internet hasn't done a good job of removing the friction um, between all three of those participants. So we have removed a lot of friction between the advertiser and the media company in terms of programmatic advertising and that can happen as much as the majority of what happens in programmatic advertising is very shady and criminal. Um, you know, there's a lot of friction that's been removed and millions of these decisions get made every minute and lots of money flows between the media company and the, and the advertiser. What hasn't happened is the same level of seamless sort of movement of information, data, value between um, the, the, the consumer of the media and either the media company or the advertiser. Blockchains um, could really open up some interesting areas in that perspective and have more of an even playing field of those sort of three layers operating. Um, I am, and especially, yeah, probably, you know, for the past 12 months, I've had a lot of media companies coming to me and saying, oh, blockchain's so going to solve all our problems. I mean, the reality is that there's not going to be, you know, we're, we're five years out from anything reasonably at scale that could actually impact the bottom line of a media company reasonably. We're 10 years out. So, in actual fact, the media companies that are going to benefit from blockchain um, if in fact they do, which you know is probably still only a 70-80% chance that that'll happen, um, those media companies that are going to ride that wave probably don't exist yet. So, so you go to read a, you go to read an article, or watch a video, or listen to a song, or whatever, and the cost of that uh, piece of content can be set by the creator of that piece of content. And that creator can be you as a dude at a cafe recording a podcast or it could be Disney creating a Star Wars movie and they set a cost and you go to view it and you might say hey I'm happy to just pay for all my content I never want to see an ad at all and so you go to view it and underneath you know on a client level um, that that transaction happens you go to either listen to a podcast and you pay 20 cents for it or you go to watch a Star Wars film and you pay five dollars for it you it just happens in the background. At the same time, you might say, yeah, I don't want to pay for all my content. I, I'm happy to see some ads. And so in that case, you might go to watch the Star Wars film and uh, Star Wars, you know, want to charge, Disney want to charge you $5 to watch that film and you only want to pay $3, so you need $2 worth of advertising. So, um, so then your client, you know, whether it's a web browser or an app or whatever, might go to some sort of you know, advertising marketplace and say, hey, I'm Tommy, I need you know some advertising, um, and you'll receive that advertising and then the payment goes straight to Disney for that $2, and they've just made their $5. They don't care how they make it, they just make it. Um, so it requires a lot of work on the protocol level, in terms of how that all operates behind the scenes. It requires a lot of work on the client level, currently web browsers aren't enabled for that. Um, ironically, a long, long time ago, there, there was a proposal for a spec for a... Um, for a payment layer within HTTP, uh, it never went anywhere. Um, but you know, if you think that all we have to do is work out that protocol level and that um, uh, and the client level, and do that within this world of War Gardens, it's probably not that hard. How much experimentation has happened from the big publishers? Not enough. Not enough. No. And I mean, look, even even now you've got. You know, the, the new media is not the saviour of the old media and the new media isn't even the saviour of itself. 
Um, you've got BuzzFeed, you know, not making money. Uh, I saw a thing this morning, Nautilus, which is a niche publication, but a very good publication. Nautilus is basically bankrupt. Um, so even these new guys are, are, are losing money. And it's very hard to experiment when the ship is sinking. Can you say that the Royal Gardens have won? Yes. What sort of certainty was that? Hundred percent. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> so what is the, the thing with making predictions is whatever you do, don't make them about the future. So how does that change the shape of news? Like, what is that? What is the forecast? For yeah. Look. Um, we honestly don't know. Um, so the last twenty years has been fascinating. Um, and you know, reasonably has been 20 years of the internet. Um, you know, I remember uh, being on the internet in 1997, and the, the really between 1997 and sort of 2000, 2001 was a was a really marked change. Um, it was the the shift from you know Usenet news groups and things like that to to the web, and at that point we had. The Royal We um, had a view on how that might change media, a view on how that might change news, a view on how that might change uh, how people interact, and pretty much all of that was fundamentally wrong. Um, it was it was really hard to imagine what was going to happen. Um, so there, there are certain things that are inevitable when you have this sort of global scale open network, and. So it was obvious that everyone would have access to news. It wasn't obvious what shape that would take. Um, it was obvious that we would all be able to communicate with each other. It wasn't obvious that that would look like Facebook. Um, and so I think where we are now with the Walt Gardens is uh, moving from 20 years of an open internet, um, moving into what's probably going to be a phase of 20 years of Walt Gardens is, is now, well, how does that really roll out? So does Facebook actually create a media company? Um, does do we see a a, a, a a new era and a new phase of benevolent media owners? Um, Jeff Bezos is really the first real example of that. Um, Pierre Amadia a little bit from eBay as well, um, and then Jimmy Wales at the moment with Wiki Tribune is sort of doing a similar thing. So we've got three people there that are at least poking around at what the future of media looks like in quite different ways. Um, but I think we're still in the early days of understanding how a how media works within a walled garden. Um, except I think it will be fundamentally different to, to what we've got so far, and I think a lot of the existing media brands won't survive that shift. Twitter is becoming an absolute cesspool. Like it's just a horrible place to hang out. I hear that's true. Yes. I've been off Twitter for the last four months. So. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, two more weeks, two more weeks, and, and then I can go back on Twitter. <coughs> Should I not? Let's hypothetically just uh, give you the keys to let's start with Twitter first. It feels like, uh, I don't know whether it's Trump, I don't know whether it's just like the type of people that are on it, but how do you reckon you would go about actually changing that, or do you think it should stay the way it is? Um, well, there's a lot of things wrong with Twitter and Facebook. Twitter has a massive troll problem. Um, Twitter and Facebook both have this sort of fake news, in air quotes, problem. Um, so there's a lot of problems to be solved. Uh, specifically around 
Well, not specifically around Twitter, around both Twitter and Facebook. Um, the fundamental problem that I see with how people are trying to go about solving the problems on those platforms and the very, the very large problems on those platforms is that uh, they're trying to solve it with technology. So we engineered into ourselves into this problem so we can engineer our way out, and I think that's fundamentally wrong. Uh, I think, you know, specifically in fake news, we, we just constantly keep seeing uh, Facebook and Google um, to a degree sort of going, oh, we're going to solve this, we've invested in this, we're going to make this, we've got AI that's doing this. And then two weeks later, it's like, well, actually, you know, it turns out that didn't quite work, or immediately people work out how to game the next system. So solving these problems with technology is, is just fundamentally not going to happen. Um, the reason I think behind most of these issues that <clears throat> specifically, you know, on Facebook and Twitter around trolling and fake news is is essentially this concept of of, of morality at scale and sort of meta-morality at scale. Um, Joshua Green has a really good book about this called Moral Tribes, and um, and and he sort of discusses this idea about moving uh, from societies where it's it's sort of uh, it's us versus me or, or, it's, or it's me versus we so you know if I have an argument and I'm having an argument with my own tribe and it's about me um, disagreeing with my tribe and therefore trying to uh, change their mind and, and that's traditionally how societies have worked and we've moved from this idea of me versus we to, to us versus them uh, and and increasingly we, we form these tribes and Increasingly, our conversations are not us trying to have trying to have discussions and arguments within our own tribe. Um, they're having discussions across tribes, and because these different tribes don't do, they have some shared values, but they they also don't have a lot of shared values. Um, in Joshua Green, sort of refers to it as they worship prop, they worship different proper nouns, and that's not to say that any one side is is wrong or is more wrong or is more right, but. The simple fact is there's not a good set of shared values. So that's the fundamental problem, which is not something that's solvable by technology. Um, so I think it's it's really pointless, and it's sort of, you know, there's a weird sort of hubris within this idea that, oh, we'll, we'll solve these problems with technology. Um, I, I do have, I've, I've worked it out, I, do, I have solved it uh, for Twitter and Facebook. Um, my solution for Twitter is... Everybody gets a, a, a character limit, and that character limit, so this is the total number of characters you can post on Twitter, it's not just the length of a tweet. The character limit um, is, is allocated to you based on the percent uh, of your income um, that you give away to help other people. Um, so it requires empathy. You're, you're allowed to broadcast your ideas and your thinking to the world as long as you can demonstrate that you have empathy for other human beings. I don't care what charity it is, that's a different story, but that's my solution for Twitter. Jack Dorsey or whoever's running Twitter by the time this goes to air. Google if you own Twitter by the time this goes to air. I think um, I think that'd work. Facebook is a really easy solution. Um, you're no longer allowed to post links on Facebook. So Facebook is a community, Facebook's all about community. Go and read all of the nonsense that Mark Zuckerberg spouts about why Facebook isn't a revenue-focused advertising company. And it's all about community and hugs and warm, fuzzy feelings and bringing people together and baby photos. Um, great. None of that requires me linking to some nonsense news article where nobody even reads it. They just read the headline and then they get either outraged or they shore up the support for their own position. Um, that's not achieving anything 
that Facebook spouts as being the reason for its existence. So great, let's ban it. So no more links on Facebook. It actually worked. Done, sorted. I'll, I'll give that for free as well. Like, they can use that for free. Do you reckon we're going to start seeing governance over the actual algorithms behind these companies? Like, do you think that they yes. start being regulated? Yeah, look, I think we'll... Um, and it was one of the predictions I made for 2018 was around um, algorithmic transparency. So uh, I think there's this very strong undercurrent of people being um, fed up with not being able to get a straight answer about how a lot of these systems work. This is everything from machine learning to how we're flagging fake news to how we're predicting elections. People are really fed up with the idea that no one can really explain how this stuff is working and we just have to trust in, um, in, the, in the sort of underlying mechanics of it all. Um, and in different parts of the world, we have people that, that um, fundamentally see either, well, well, fundamentally see institutions threatened. So whether they're corporate institutions or government institutions or social institutions, they see them as threatened. And I think it's when you have governments and corporations both aligned in a fear of something, then that's a very strong impetus to start to see regulation get talked about. Um, and I think out of all the possible regulation that can happen around technology companies, um, whether that's around how they're taxed, uh, whether it's around um, uh, sort of antitrust regulation, uh, or whether it's around algorithmic sort of transparency, I think algorithmic transparency is the one that people can understand easiest, and I think it's the one that we'll see some action on. So, um, look, I expect in the EU, most likely this year, um, there will be a lot of discussion around companies having to be able to explain how their algorithms work. Um, whether that, I, I doubt anything will actually, you know, get rubber stamped, but I think that conversation will start uh, this year. That chat's only been a glimpse into what we'll cover at the show at Pause Fest. I'll be sharing the entire show after the event, so if you can't make it, be sure to catch it afterwards. In the meantime, sign up for Future Sandwich delivered directly to your inbox. There are fortnightly emails of simple dot point updates that you can graze in under a minute. How emails should be. Find that and all other places to connect at futuresandwich.com. As well as a podcast, Future Sandwich is now expanding into a consultancy that is focusing on speaking about future trends and their impact on business and society. If you'd like to chat through anything, email me at tommy at futuresandwich.com. Also, thanks to Andy from Independent Studios, a shared space in Paran, and the new official headquarters for Future Sandwich. Visit independentstudios.com.au if you need anything from a desk to a 10-person office in a space full of creative people and businesses. And if you're going to be at pause, make sure you come by and say hello. That's me done. See you next time.